Welcome to the Legendarium. At least you're the, the no, man. No, don't say it again. Don't That's, say it. Uh, it's the best of the worst situation. I don't say I agree with it or I like it, but it's the best of a worst situation. Oh, boy. The, the lesser of two weevils. <laughs> back everybody welcome back to the legendarium podcast episode number 145 145 inching closer to number 150 uh today it's crossroads of twilight part two and uh i am your host craig hanks the magnificent shut up uh now <laughs> he is clingier than an overeager circus owner it's kyle lemon i have been working on my Klingon. And he's, <laughs> and he was voted most likely to be banned from the sweat tent for life. It's Ken Johnson. Shut up, Craig. You're boring. Go home. <laughs> and he lost on Jeopardy to Elida. It's Ryan Bruckman. Oh, shouldn't have taken that daily double. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, welcome everybody to the Legendarium podcast. Let's, uh, let's strap in for the most boring amusement park ride ever as we try to stretch uh, the Wheel of Time, Book 10, Crossroads of Twilight into a second full episode. Uh, let's see what we can do. But before we get there, I just want to remind everybody, go to patreon.com slash legendarium and support the show there. You can also go to thelegendarium.reddit.com and join the conversation there. And then lastly, I want to remind everybody we uh, uh, the, the giveaway is still going on. So as you remember from last week, uh, you can enter to win a hardcover legendarium version of Crossroads of Twilight. Uh, basically, this has got all of our marginal notes from each of the four panelists. Whether those marginal notes are serious or not is really up to each individual person who contributes. Uh, so they may be incredibly snarky. We'll just have to see about that. Uh, anyway, if you want to get your hands on that copy... All you need to do is go to iTunes and leave a review. Here are the rules. It must be a five-star review because I'm greedy and I don't care about your four-star and your three-star and your any other star reviews. It must be five stars because we rock and it's the 90s, apparently. <laughs> uh, so it's got to be five stars. It must be, uh, it must be weird or snarky or funny or something. It's got to be interesting. If if all you say is I like the podcast, you are not going to win. Because plus you're a liar. Plus you're a liar. Exactly. <laughs> Take your heartfelt nonsense and shove it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> basically, uh, yeah. Basically, do what I do with the insults at the beginning of this show and turn it into an iTunes review, and you've you've got a good shot. Uh, so anyway, sir. And because I have no way of tracking you all on iTunes, I don't know who you are when you leave the review. Go ahead and copy and paste that review that you leave and just send it in an email or a, a private Facebook message or a Reddit message or whatever. You can email it to me, craig at thelegendariumpodcast.com and uh, let me know that it was you that left that review so that I can put you in the running for that book. Uh, all right, so... Oh, and I should also mention, he or she who leaves the best reviews... Uh, We'll, I, I am not averse to reading a bunch of these on the air. So Yeah, we could read like a top five. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nice. Before so, we announce the winner. Considering so far in um, our discussions on this book, we've discussed Weevil, 
uh, weevils and their edibility. I'm pretty sure that would be a step up from anything else. We've That's done. true. That's true. <laughs> We're in desperate need of segments, basically, on yep. this show. Uh, all right. So let's go ahead and get started on Crossroads of Twilight. Now, I want to get into the uh, Reddit comments. Like I said, there are a bunch more that got left. But since we broke last time, was there anybody that had anything that you just need to get off your chest? Kyle, you're nodding I, your head. I got a couple. Okay. But so we'll start with, let's start with you then. Let's start with the big one. Okay. Which is the epilogue. The epilogue. The epilogue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's going down in the epilogue. Is so, that the, the thing that you run on your leg hair to pull it all out? Yes. Oh. Which is why Ryan's legs are so <laughs> no. silky smooth. You deserve to be smacked for that. <laughs> <laughs> I used an epilator once when I was like 20. Oh, geez. Never again. Hashtag never again. Okay, <laughs> anyway. Right. That's, <laughs> so tell me about this epilogue. Now that you're all picturing Craig shaving his legs. It was, it was far worse than shaving my legs, <laughs> let me tell you. Well, they're silky smooth. So. Not recommended. All right. It was, a, it was a dare. Shut up. No, I'm not taking it anywhere. It's not <laughs> family <laughs> friendly. <laughs> um, epilogue. So basically what happens is Davram Bashir shows back up, reports back to Rand, says, yo, man. What's he been doing? Been talking to the Sean Chen. I was just about to say that. Oh, know? okay. I'm sorry. Like, yo, bro, I'm back, you know, talking to the Sean Chen because Davram Bashir is a gangster. Which that's, and, and that's how and that's how gangsters talk. It, it is and when you're four white men sitting in when a, you're, a, a yeah, basement in Layton, Utah. In Layton, Utah. <laughs> Anyways, he shows up and he says, "Back from the Sean Chen, met with them. Um, someone called the High Lady Surath wants an audience with you, and wants the wants you to meet a member of the royal family, who they call the Daughter of the Nine Moons, and." Essentially, this scene is kind of like the post-credit scene. I would say where it's like, "Oh, here's this thing," and like, "Oh, stuff's gonna stuff's gonna happen next book." Oh no, go pick it up. Davron Bashir is the Nick Fury. So of this. he is. <laughs> he is the Nick Fury. Um, so my question to the podcast is, what do you think about it? Because Rand is now set to meet with. Hi, Lady Surath, and the Daughter of the Nine Moons. So knowing what we know, what do you guys think about this? Can we uh, air quote that Daughter of the Nine Moons? So sure. Daughter of the Nine Moons refers to Tuon, who is with Matt. Uh, so a few things could be going on. Uh, a, Surath thinks that Rand has Tuon. That's probably unlikely, but it's possible. Uh, B, she's going to um, have someone impersonate Tuon. That's my vote. Um... I think that's much more likely. Or see, she's stalling for time. Okay. Um, I don't know. Okay. But uh, so my question those... would be, what do we know about High Lady Surath? We know that she has a couple of long fingernails. True. She is bad. She's bald. Where have we seen her before? She's popped up a couple of times. Yeah, she was in book two. She was like, uh, she was a big deal in book two. There was mm. uh, there was her, and there was the guy that Rand uh, fought with in book two. Right. Whatever his name was, um, the the sword ma blade master, and uh, I, and she something about the Wonder Girls. She helped to buy the Wonder Girls for Leandrin. No, from um, from, yep, Leandrin. from Leandrin. So she's done dealings with Leandrin, who we know is Black Aja. She's Black Aja. Yep. So are we assuming then that Suroth is Black Aja? I don't know. Are or we? Or Black Aja, a, a dark friend. Are we? 
Only that's that, my question. Didn't that lead that led Suroth to be part of the blood now, right? So she's she's a big deal because of that. She was already of those I think she was already, she was already think, of the blood. Yeah, I think she was ruling there or she's ruling somewhere. I thought she was I don't I, She might have gotten a step up um, inside the blood rank. Yeah, she's, I don't know. Exactly. She's a bigger deal Changed now because of type. deals that yeah. she made back then. Yes. So. So so basically, yeah. are you just trying to point us toward Suroth as a dark friend? And so what does that mean for the epilogue? Yeah. I mean, Rand said, I mean, because like you said, you, you said that uh, obviously the daughter of the nine moons is with Matt. Right. So right. what does this mean for Rand's fated meeting with said daughter of the nine moons next book or two books from now, whenever it happens? I don't. Anyways. I it, don't know. It's not to that- think on. I, I think it means that he's going to meet an imposter and it's going to feel like it should be a much bigger deal than it ends up being because that's what's happened before in plenty of things. Well, and take one step away from Sir and just slightly higher picture here. Um, Davin Bashir says that they are amenable to his truce. The yeah. Sean Chan right now when their invasion aren't really being true. I mean, Rand's the only one who's really stopped them from progressing anywhere right so what if even though we know that Tuan is with matt you know what sort of direction could what could rand get out of the shan chan if they are amenable to a truce uh not having to war with them anymore right isn't that the number one thing he's talking about didn't he say that earlier I like, mean, he, I just he don't wants have... to well, he, he wants he to says... focus on and he everyone's got to be focused on tarman guidance he said didn't didn't he say something like when your enemy gives you two targets aim for a third aim for a third that was mm-hmm. what who said that devon bashir i'm pretty was sure it bashir, said it bashir said that to him and then i don't remember somebody somebody said it and then somebody else finished his thought in the right. book right that aim for a third target when two people when you're Based with two targets, yeah. Okay. Anyways, I just wanted to call attention to that because uh, it seems like a lot of times we'll skip over prologue or epilogue stuff, and there's some interesting things that happen in those parts of the book. <laughs> that was that thank, wasn't nearly loud enough. Thank you, Tommy Lee Tommy Jones. Lee Jones, don't. Care. I don't care. <laughs> no, Red the, jacket, green jacket. The, 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 the to your point, we do sometimes gloss over uh, prologue and epilogue stuff, and basically since like what book seven or something that's almost all that matters not all that matters but uh but you can almost be guaranteed that an epilogue or a prologue anything that happens in there you should be paying attention to that so many chapters in between for these last few books it's been like oh probably doesn't matter you gotta know what's going on in val and luca's circus man (laughs) exactly and so anyway but yeah i i should care I guess is my point mm-hmm. because it's in an epilogue. No, that's my point. Yeah. What happened in the prologue in this book? Who can recall that? Nobody can ever recall that. Rodel, Rodel Iteralda, oh. great captain. Oh, okay. He was up to stuff. And he's like, he's doing something with the Shan Chan too, right? Fighting him. Well, yep. well yeah, fighting him, but. Mm-hmm. He's trying to drive him out of his lands because he's like the last, he's like the great captain that's, the only one who's fighting the Shan Chan. And uh, the king that he reports to, Al-Salam, or is something like that. I right. Exactly. He's been giving orders that don't really coincide with what Iteral is trying to do. And oh, so he's, and so he he's trying about, to get ahead of the orders. Yeah, so he's trying to like salvage the situation as much as possible, and it feels like he's being undercut by the king and what's what the decisions are being made. And so he's 
it seems like he's the guy that genuinely cares about what's right and doing what needs to be done in this certain situation with mm-hmm. the Sean Chen and that the the odds are continually stacked against him. So that's kind of what this whole his whole thing is right now in the prologue. It was hard oh, for me to remember he is one because... Of, he we, is one of the great captains that gets mentioned. How right. many great captains? There's, uh, five. There's, there are five. Well, four now because it's Pedro Ralda, Nile. Pedro Nile. Uh, let me see if I can do this. Okay. Um, uh, where do we get? Oh, shoot. I just lost them all. There's Garth Brynn mm-hmm. is number three. Uh, number four is... Oh, shoot. I lost him. I had at least one more. I couldn't have done all five, though. Um, I Tiralda, Nile, Bryn, um, yeah. Davram and um, Agomar. Oh, okay. No, oh, really? I forgot about Agomar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody did. Don't forget about Agomar, Because that was man. eight books ago. Eight. Eight of them. Nine. Doesn't one of them get mentioned because <laughs> Pedro and Nile gets killed? He, he yeah. takes his place. So he talks about, there's a there's a scene here with Rand and Cad Swain in this book. Yeah. And he talks about the ever victorious army and how they're talking about the Shan Chen and what the Shan Chen generals actually do. And that it's kind of ingrained in Shan Chen culture that if they ever lose a battle, everybody sits down and talks about what they did wrong, what the enemy did right, and then they adjust their strategy from there. And Cad Swain mentions to Rand, oh, I know a couple of guys who do that. And she lists off all the great captains, Agomar, Bashir, Nile, Gareth Brynn, and Iteralda. And he's like, yeah, they're all great captains. Yeah, the great captains are going to do that. But my point is the Sean Chen culture, the entirety of the Sean Chen nation does this Revolves thing. around this. Yeah. And so this is why they've never lost a war. Yeah, they they've are. lost battles, but they are the ever victorious army because they're essentially made up of all great captains. They are the Borg. Resistance is futile. Which I'm going to put a pin in here and say I think that Within a short while, Matt deserves to have his name considered in the great captains category just with the crap that he's pulled. Oh, probably already. Yeah. Just with what he can do. But yeah. is it but is it but him nobody or knows the great him. captains yeah. in his head? I mean or does that matter? Uh it doesn't matter well, as far as the world is concerned. Right. So um the things he can do, he can do no matter why. So yeah. Now, Kyle, you said you had two things. Was yes. do you have the other thing? Yes. And I looking for that quote. For the great captains, I took my finger out of the book. Oh. But what it was, actually, I have two other things. Sorry. Than what we just talked about. <laughs> what it was so, was. Uh, this, this episode is brought to you by Kyle. Kyle. Well, Mike, I'm going to pose the question and then you guys are going to discuss it. Okay. It's how we do. Um, Suan thinks that Cad Swain is a dark friend. And it was mentioned in here. She says, oh, I wish I had the quote because I just took my finger out of the book. I think Cat Swain's a dark friend. Basically, <laughs> yeah. Basically, she says, I think Cat Swain's a dark friend. I can't prove it, but I have my suspicions. Um, and we had talked about earlier whether we had thought Varen or Cad Swain was a dark friend. And later, after Suan says that, there's a really interesting chapter where Cad Swain and Varen interact with each other. And Vera, or Cadswin's, it's from her point of view, and she says something along the lines of that she can't get a read on Varen necessarily. Like she knows that Varen isn't quite as um, flighty or like absent-minded as she puts out there. Mm-hmm. Um, she knows that Varen knows more than she lets on, but she is uncomfortable because she can't really 
put a pin in what Varen does. And so she tries to throw Varen off balance with something that, with one of their interactions, one of their conversations. She doesn't tell Varen the answer that Varen's asking for. But we had kind of talked about last episode or during the last book that who do we think is maybe a dark friend, maybe not. Well, Swan thinks that Cad Swain's a dark friend. And it straight up says it in this book. So what do we think about Cad Swain in general after having this, like having a little bit more into, we actually had two or three point of view chapters with her in this book. Uh, what do we think about her and her yeah, interactions I was, with Baron too? I was thinking back on the Cad Swain stuff because there's been no real indication that she's a dark friend, even during her point of view chapters. Uh, but then I was, as I was thinking back on it, there's no real... Uh, proof that she's not either a lot of the stuff that she's thinking could very well go the way of the dark friend i don't think she is personally i mean and i don't i don't feel like i've seen anything to lead me to to believe otherwise everything that i've read so far leads me to believe that cad swain is just an old rigid school marm type former Aes Sedai who doesn't have time for this s and wants to teach rand and and has a horrible bedside manner about it. So annoyance isn't the same as being a dark friend. Yeah. Um, I, so I guess my yeah. question would be: Swan doesn't interact with Cad Swain, like at all so far. Right. Why would Swan think that Cad Swain's a dark friend? Because Swan's a dark friend. No, I think I'm she's just, just a busy no, body. I'm just kidding. I do think Varen's a dark friend, though. Well, I'm on record as saying that. I think if anybody who's trying to get close to the Dragon Reborn has to be considered a potential dark friend because you'd want to get someone in his good graces or his graces because it's not good. <laughs> um, but I, being that so much of what I think Rand is being driven to is that hardening that he keeps talking about, mm -hmm. the fact that she's trying to turn that and make it not this brittle, breakable you know, be a hard leader, but more the learn to cry, learn to laugh, learn to do all those things again. That seems to me more like not what a dark friend would be doing because that's going to lend strength to your hero. Yeah, I thought about that too. And then and then I wondered, okay, but is that, is it what the dark one would want for him to be distracted, emotional, um... Uh, it, for him to invest feelings in events and people and places such that he could be more easily manipulated. Uh, and so, anyway, I'm not, so, I'm not yeah. throwing, I'm not throwing my lot in with that point of view necessarily. But I'm just saying it could be that uh, that her reason for doing that is to soften him up for the last battle. Versus whoever the wise one is that she kind of teams up with in the last book. Or her version or her reasons might be more mm -hmm. altruistic. So I've got the quote here. Oh, I'm excited. What about Cad Swain, Egwene said. Of all the names coming out of Kyrian, that one had sent the most shock through the sisters. Cad Swain Melidrin was a legend. And there was many disapproving versions of the legend. There was many, as many disapproving versions of the legend as approving. Some sisters had been sure it was a mistake. Must be a mistake. Cad Swain must be dead by now. Others just appeared to wish she were dead. Are you certain she remained in Kyrian after Rand disappeared? I made sure my people kept an eye on her as soon as I heard her name, Swan said, no longer sounding at all calm. 
I don't know she's a dark friend, I just suspect. But I can guarantee that she was in the Sun Palace a week after he vanished. When he was... Isn't that when he... When he vanished from... For Do My, Do My Swells, I believe, right? Or is it when he's vanished on this run of, like, gone into hiding? I thought it was... So... Okay. The other thing is, is the timing of Cad Swain showing up in the book at, at all. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, we have this really prominent character. Seems like a really convenient thing for the so dark side to do. Everybody assumes that Cad Swain is dead. Mm-hmm. So it would be really easy, in theory, to uh, to dress up one of the Forsaken mm-hmm. and pass them off as Cad Swain, right? Or or something like that. Or mm-hmm. you know, like whatever mm-hmm. uh, whatever this. Uh, what's the the new Forsaken guy's name? Uh, Aaron. Morden. Aaron Morden. Gar- oh, Morden. Okay. Morden. Yeah. So a, a Morden situation where you're like, who the heck is this guy? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a new player on the field and she's masquerading as Cad Swain. I guess that's a possibility. She's wearing a Cad Swain suit. Well, because she doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't show up until after Moraine's gone for sure. There's a vacancy, um, as Dragon Reborn advisor true. kind of thing. That's why I thought she was um, the new Moraine. Anyways, like I said, just food for thought because it was pointed out here, and Swan doesn't have any any interaction with Cad Swain. Uh-huh. So why would Swan think that Cad Swain is a dark? Friend? I don't know. What's what is it about the timing? Are you trying to point no. me to something? No, not necessarily. I just want you guys to be aware of like bah. little quotes that happen to be like, oh, what's going on? Suwan's okay. old and been around. Again, the my block. thought is timing wise, she shows up out of nowhere in a really vulnerable time for Rand. To Ryan's point, um, you know, from what we know about Cad Swain, she's saying that she needs she needs Rand to be more human. From a dark friend point of view, maybe you want him to be more human because he can't actually take on the dark lord if he's like that. I don't know. I guess. Okay. Uh, Food for thought, I suppose. Uh, Anybody else before? Oh, no, wait. You had, uh, was it eight other points? Yeah, ten more. Yeah, oh, okay. No, the other thing was in Cad Swain's point of view chapter, which I think is full of really cool stuff. So if you want to go back and reread that, that would be one I would recommend. For one thing, I finally figured out why she's so confident, but I can come back to that. Go Here, on. Is it because of all of her trinkets? All the trinkets. Because that's what my point was. Oh, okay. Was yeah. that she has all of her trinkets, but she's also commenting on all of the trinkets that Nynaeve has. So she's looking at like, oh, she's now wearing these rings and she's wearing this bracelet and she knows that it's an Ungreal that's even pow- more powerful than the one that Cad Swain has. And she, but it talks about a couple of different trinkets that Cad Swain has that she can detect when there's a man that can channel that's nearby and mm-hmm. she can also detect if he's actually channeling and, and a couple i have of to assume things, so i have to point. assume she would have a matte style foxhead medallion that can stop a man's channeling at her and that's one of the reasons she's so confident when confronting rand so go ahead ken here's the cad swain quote that i flagged uh during this narrative and i think ryan flagged the same one some said that turnabout was fair play, but she had never believed in fighting fair. Either you fought or you did not. It was never a game. Fairness was for people standing safely to one side, talking while others bled. Hmm. And um, like, how know. did you know I marked that? Oh yeah, you bogart my. I do. <laughs> you bogart my books. Got it. So <laughs> yes, I do have that. Which one goes back to all of her bevy of of Angriel that she has. It's like she's not she's not going to fight fair. She's going to fight to win. Who doesn't fight fair? You know what? Oh. <laughs> you, you you can't whisper in these mics anymore. Yeah, yeah. Dark friends don't fight fair, but you know what? Neither do good guys who win. Fair enough. Yeah. There you go. So, Neither does John McClane. Here's this quote from it's 
chapter one, it's Matt, and uh, says they were still finding bodies and he was responsible. The innocent died along with the guilty, and if you and if you did nothing, then only the innocent died, or as bad as died. Maybe worse, depending on how you looked at it. Matt's point, they're like... Chilling. Yeah, if, if you don't fight, the innocent are still going to die. Yeah. The least you can do is take some of the guilty with you. Right. Like, that's very interesting. It's very, very, uh, uh, very hard-edged. Mm-hmm. Feels Machiavellian. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, okay. I That's really want to get to the Reddit stuff <laughs> forever. Kyle's off the podcast. Um, all right. So I promised before we finished up last time that we were going to play Lie With, Marry, or Kill. <laughs> I, can't come up, I can't come up with a better way to say it. Ryan, what do you got? I don't have anything. No, okay. All right. No biblically, marry, or kill. Um, and your choices are Elida, Fael, and Savannah. Best of luck to you all. Honestly, I liked AU's answer the best. Also on the Reddit. <laughs> As Modian underscore uh, replied with kill, kill, dot, dot, dot. Kill. Yeah. Ashman, kill. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, no, you have to choose. And if you don't choose, you're not allowed to come back on the podcast. So my answer uh-huh. would have to be... Um, would have to... <laughs> 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 this is really difficult to do. Uh, but I'd have to go um, lie with Fail, hit it and quit it. <laughs> uh, kill Savannah, marry Elida. Hmm. Huh. I think I think I would go with kill Fail, um, marry Elida, just because lessest of three evils and. Mary, Mary Elida, you said. Yeah, and lie with Savannah because I think she would be the one to resent it the most. Oh, they would all resent she, that. But I think she would... Kent, can with you, they would all resent Dude, that. ladies love me, girls adore me. That <laughs> Moving on very quickly. Oh, moving on very good quickly. Good Lord, you but didn't I, just say that. I did. But I think oh. Savannah would uh, resent it the most, so... All right. Know. Yeah. It's very interesting. I'm... Ryan? Elida. Uh, so, lie with Elida. Uh, Mary Fael. Kill Savannah. Mary Fael. Mm. Yeah. Mary Fael. That's actually what I was going to say as well. Um, okay, wait. Say it again. What was it, Kyle? So lie, lie with Elida. Mary Fael. Kill Savannah. Okay. Is that um, because you guys want to be in an abusive relationship, or no? At least in that relationship, you're the abuser. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I'm just gonna go with I'm not a wuss was, like parent. That was so. <laughs> that was the worst thing you've know, ever said. You feel terrible. That was the worst thing you've ever said. This is a terrible. Not question. even just on the podcast. Yes. Just ever. <laughs> no, I'm gonna say the thing, and I've said this several times. The thing that I don't like about Fail isn't Fail. It's how Perrin reacts to Fail. So you think you would and, react, and I can react differently than Perrin because yeah, yeah. So I can make that choice because Fail's kind of a badass. In her own way. She is. And um, there's nothing wrong with having a, a, a strong, strong-willed, strong-minded woman. A strong, independent woman who does not need to smoke. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, ten, 10 points to Gryffindor for anybody who can put that reference on uh, Reddit. They'll just win the house cup at the end of the, at the, end of the <laughs> year. It doesn't matter. Dumbledore will change whatever he wants. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. But, no, that's like, she is a manageable relationship. Um, Elida is a one of the great powers although an absolute idiot she is the Amarlin seat I, I, do, I don't think she's an idiot 
I just think that in one, in, in the most major thing, the most major decision or event of her life, she miscalculated and overextended herself. And that had disastrous consequences, but she's not an idiot. No, no, no. She is an idiot because she repeatedly continues down the path. If she were to, re- like, she overextends herself and realizes that she's gone too far and then pulled back and, and corrected her course, then yes, I would be agreeing with you. But, but she, she doubles continues, down. She doubles yeah. down on it and she's building a, a, a castle that's bigger than the White Tower and she's starting to... You know, she tells an accepted or an I said, I, you're now accepted again. And just this is why Ryan chose her to lie with because she doubles down. <laughs> <laughs> I like me a woman of elegance with the backbone. And <laughs> OK, this is it's going bad. This, but I just yeah, this went horribly <laughs> awry. I, I yeah. And Savannah, I just I I don't understand why anyone listens to her. I don't understand anything about why she's of value. So she's just gone you so, guys you guys have, have caused me to to reevaluate i think i would much rather have fail to wife and kill elida Nah, <laughs> too late your, your stamp has been car- your card has been stamped <laughs> that's true no no i uh no uh so reddit user pulse czar that's t-s-a-r that's a great name by the way pulse czar um thank you for bringing ryan down to our level <laughs> Uh, morally speaking, he has uttered the worst thing. At least you're the abuser in the relationship. On this entire podcast. <laughs> and he's doubling down on it. In, a, in 145 episodes. Well, I swear, were we not talking, did we talk about that off air or on air where we talked about the whole Saldean relationships? How I think yeah, that was off air. It was off air. Well, that's so. the thing. Like The whole Saldean relationship is based around this abusive concept that a man needs to be able to keep his wife in check. And I was like, well, it's a terrible, terrible thing. But if you're going to be part of that relationship, at least... You're the, the no, no, don't say it again. Don't That's <laughs> it's the best of the worst situation. I don't say I agree with it or I like it, but it's the best of a worst situation. Oh boy, the, the lesser of two weevils. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, that's got to be a, that's got to be Reddit flare soon. <laughs> um, Oxford Tom asks, which parent action was worse, taking the hand or helping the Sean Chan? Wait. That's got to be in book 11. I was going to say that. That's the spoiler one. Yep. I'm not yeah. going to. No, there's another spoiler oh, one. Oh, yeah. There are multiple. That is riddled with spoilers, and it uh, was downvoted into oblivion. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry to that person, uh, whoever that was, but I'm not going to go back and look because uh, uh, this this is already quite the spoiler. I'm not going to read that. Um, your predictions, again, from Oxford, Tom. If Moradin has a plan, what do you think that plan is? What are they? I assume the Dark Friends. What are they trying to achieve? And how are they trying to achieve it? I don't know. We don't have enough Dark Friend information at this point. I can't... Moradin is a really interesting character to me. Um, because Moradin is, as we've all assumed, Ishmael. Ishmael. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've talked about it before. And... His entire goal, he's like a nihilist. He just, just wants burn it all down. He just, just wants to well, watch the world burn. Not even that. He just doesn't he just wants it all to be nothing. So his whole goal for the Dark One winning is to destroy the wheel so that there is no existence. Um is the Because uh, all the other Forsaken all the other Forsaken want to rule in a Dark One ruled world. Right. They're promised riches and power and all that stuff. Um, but Moradin slash Ishamael just wants it to end. Um, 
where and get into kind of some deep stuff with his character as to why the dark one brought him back in the first place. Um, and my theory is that it's as a punishment to him. So making Moradin nameless is actually the dark one being it's his cruelty and so punishing like, him. You have to stick around. You have to be part of existence, so to speak. Yeah. So I'm not going to give you what you want, which is to not exist anymore. What you I'm really going want. to throw you back into the wheel and punish you for that. Right. Kind of so like, I, kind of like how I punish myself with another half hour of recording with you guys. Yes. Ugh. So let me just along that line of thought, if that's really his biggest frustration, um, why not just go step in front of a thing of bale fire? Like just pop up in front of the Dragon Reborn and Can you like can you lob bale fire straight up and have it fall back down <laughs> on you? <laughs> Open up a, a gateway or something so you just shoot it through the gateway right back at yourself. There and, you go. Yes. But then you would undo your making of the gateway. So oh, you, I, shoot. You couldn't really kill yourself couldn't with you? bale fire because you would undo the fact that you hit yourself with bale fire. I, I think I oh, think my where word. That, I think where we run into a problem with that is that his belief system isn't just that he should not exist anymore it's that everything should not exist anymore um and okay. so if he jumps into a, a thing of bellfire that doesn't ultimately solve his grander play at things hmm. um to destroy everything and just have nothing because that's the only thing that's the only way to be at peace i guess it would be in his mind um it would, it would solve his immediate concern. i mean and it solves his issue but it wouldn't like I think that idealistically, I don't think he can live with that because he wants mm -hmm. everything to be that way. I don't know. All right. Um, as Modian underscore would like us to lighten up a bit, and so he asks, "What was uh, your funniest part of the book?" Now I'll be honest. He he submitted this, uh, you know, twelve hours ago or whatever it was, and I've been agonizing over this question, trying to think of anything that I thought was funny. I guess the only thing I could come up with was Matt's interactions, some of Matt's interactions with Tuan, but even that yeah. isn't very funny. Probably the funniest thing about this book was uh, playing the little game we did 10 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not sure. This the, There have been moments of humor that I've really appreciated in past books in the series, and I'm not sure that I really got any in this book, and maybe I'm just not remembering. That feels like the early, the early Matt and Tuan stuff feels like the only bit of levity, and, and I that's what I marked in my in my notes is that their light courtship felt you know felt humorous, but then when they got into it at the end of the book, it really didn't anymore. Right? So maybe there was a brief moment there at the beginning. The the one thing I thought was funny was from uh, was from my my own thinking when Carlton and Loyal show up in the prologue after uh, was it Dobrain that was nearly killed? Not Dobrain. Uh, yeah, it was mm -hmm. Dobrain. Okay, yeah. and, and they're they're doing all of their investigation stuff, and I thought if we could have gotten a book of of Loyal and and Cauldron private investigators, that would have been hilarious. But that was really the only thing, and. I had to promote that myself. So, in the series as a whole, I usually find myself chuckling most with Matt, uh, the Matt chapters, and and his interaction with things, just because he doesn't have a very 
serious take on things anyway. Right. Um, so I'm inclined to say in this book, that's this. it is the Matt and Two on interaction, which quite frankly, I'm not a huge fan of, but it's still a more entertaining, entertaining and believable relationship than some of the other ones um, that we've come across. But bootstrapping and all. Yeah. Um, but I think... What was that called from the last The Bootstrap episode? Paradox. Bootstrap Paradox. Okay. Bootstrap Paradox. Um, but I, I honestly can't think of a whole lot of funny things. One, one of the scenes that I chuckled at, it wasn't like humor really. It was just kind of like, dude, um, was the scene where you see Jahar, the Ashaman warder, mm-hmm. and he's, he's practicing the sword with Lan. And I think it's Cad Swain and whoever the Aes Sedai is, they're having this whole conversation while they're watching them practice the sword. Right. And Lan's just taking it. Yeah, out of him. Just beating him. And and every time the next warder stands up to like take his turn and Jahar like waves him off and he gets more frustrated and angry with himself because he's you know, he's not mad, but he's just frustrated that he keeps getting bested and and one of the Aes Sedai comments about how he's like soaked through his shirt with sweat and like effort that he's putting forth and that Lan hasn't even broken a sweat and just kinda like <laughs> is just right. land and it just it made me chuckle it just like dude land is sweet yeah. land, land is, he is pretty so awesome. cool i'll give you that uh all right so here is a uh a, well you know what i'm gonna save this one for at the end of the episode when we do predictions uh so let's skip to this one uh okay connor jade Reddit user Connor Jade asks what was your investment in Elaine prior to this book and what is it at the end <laughs> buy in to the Andoran conflict is necessary to your enjoyment of Crossroads of Twilight I guess that's probably true although Ryan you brought up an interesting point was it you telling us about percentages of like oh, how, yeah. how she's often she's actually only, I think it was only she's a point of view character almost for, 14% it's like I can't remember if it's 14 or 18% just shy of that it's that's like, really all that she yeah. takes in this but it feels like 80% of this book seriously so what it, did you care prior to this book about Elaine's storyline did you feel differently after you were done with this I one? felt that it was uh, Elaine's storyline as a whole I'm I was mildly invested in I I cared that she needed to take the throne of Andor. I cared about it that much. I didn't need to know the midichlorians about how she was about to go, how she was going about to do it, and know every little piece of it. And I really have a hard time seeing how knowing that is going to be worthwhile later on. Like, it, I, I really struggle to understand the purpose of knowing the subtleties of the taking of the crown of Andor back. It really may. I I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. I need to, I need to pull it up. Um, I don't care. (laughs) Um, With Elaine. There you go. (laughs) I, I don't know. I, I think that she's a really interesting character, Mm -hmm. but this story arc, I'm with Ryan. I don't care about it at all. Um, And I don't don't see, (laughs) I don't see how all of the details will come back into play. If we're doing the screenplay like we've talked about before, I cut this entire story arc and and basically just go the Rand route for the TV series and say, Rand took over Camelin and he's giving it to Elaine. And that automatically inserts her into that. You know, and I understand the political drama and like, oh, Andor won't accept this throne that was given to her or the, the Dragon Reborn gave it to her or whatever. I get that. 
but from a larger story arc plot for the whole series, it would still serve the function of Elaine being the the queen of Andor if she had just taken the throne from Rand when he basically said, I'm saving it for her. Here you go. Well, and in the for the TV series purpose, whatever, reverse it. Have her take it from Rand, and then how you can have people through the process going, well, it was just given to her. She doesn't, she doesn't value it. And people who are undermining it there, and have her earn the the their respect mm-hmm. as yep. the story's progressing there, rather than having to do the whole process of getting the throne, and then still having the exact same issue where basically you you're gonna have to deal with people who still don't believe in you because they were and, your enemies. And there's still the Sun Throne out there too that supposedly is for her as well. Yeah. And so, same thing. Like, yeah, are we going to have to go through this all over again? Mm-hmm. Cool. Because ultimately, I mean, if you're thinking about it, all of these nations are hopefully going to be reporting to Rand the Dragon Reborn by the time the last battle comes around anyways. So does it really matter, like, all of the granular political stuff? I think that Robert Jordan got really into his own world and wanted to write a political drama and that his editor slash wife didn't have the heart to tell him that this doesn't need to be right i think um this would work a lot better in a separate series even i think and i'm i'm totally speculating here i have really uh nothing to back this up other than my feelings as i was reading it but what it felt like was robert jordan had created randland he had this really cool space to play in and that at a certain point, he says, oh, you know, I'd really, I've always wanted to write something that had more of a political flavor to it. I've always wanted to do that. I've got this series I'm writing anyway. Here's this character who's going to have to go through some political machinations to ascend to the throne. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just, uh, there you go. Thank you. And I'll just uh, use this as my vehicle to play around a little bit with a different style of mm-hmm. book than I've been doing up to this point. And, um, and it's, it's not that, it's not that he can't write politics. Uh, you know, I, I don't have a problem with it. It's just the placement in the series, the, the pacing that it creates is all wrong. And so it's a, it's a big problem. So if he had had a separate book, you know, kind of like when he did, um, what, what's new spring mm-hmm. that to tell that storyline, I haven't read it yet, but I understand mm-hmm. what it's about. So he could come out with another book later that just says, this is the story um, yeah. all about how. I was, was going to say, it would, it would actually work really well, even if you didn't do the, got up and took what, Ryan and I, exactly. yeah, what Ryan and I were suggesting, and you didn't do the, oh, she just took it from Rand, but you did like the- Well, you could just have it all happen six, off yeah, screen. Six months has gone by, and Elaine has ascended yep. to the, or to the, to the, the Iron the, Throne. Iron throne. <laughs> I just watched the light, latest episode of the Game of Thrones before we came, so I'm like Iron Throne on the brain. Um but yeah, so she's ascended to the throne and she's got it. And then, like you said, you have like an outrigger novel that is the succession of Andor there or you go. whatever it is. Yep. Yep. And that would work it for would fans work that want to have more time in the world, Yep. but it wouldn't slow this book down. And we could just combine it like we talked about in the last episode to have book nine and ten. And also, I would feel more inclined in that case to care about even trying to remember the names of the characters involved. You could quiz me on the characters involved in Elaine's storyline, I wouldn't have the first clue how to sort them well, out and who oh, was who. And it would make the drama of that storyline a little bit more intense because you'd be wondering, how did this happen? What's going on? Like, oh, like all these different political schemes. 
I'd be more interested in. Yeah. The only, the only reason I like it is because I, I love in my mind, the idea of them trying to wage a siege on a town full of people who can just channel out of the, or who can just travel out of the city. So it's like, they're just bringing supplies in, leaving the city when they want. <laughs> and here are these people all around the, all around the walls going, we've got them right where we want them. Well, oh, they, okay. They kind of do. Yeah, except, except they're still bringing supplies in and she's still leaving to talk. It's, it, maybe that's the humor that I found in the book was, was just that mental yeah. picture. But anyway, other just, than that, those whole chapters could just go bye-bye. I want to know if there are things inside of that story that you need to put a thumb in the page and say, oh, this is this is going to be important later. Like this this person who just entered is important later or whatever. Because it is so hard, like you said, to remember anything about this other than it takes Elaine a long time to get the throne and she has to do it. And she hasn't even done it by the end of this book. Yeah, yeah. it's going through this. Like, it's just, I, even though I, I, I am a little ahead, I can't think of any part of this that's that's valuable. Right. Well, that's good. There was, a, there was a Reddit question about creating conflict and like the what if scenarios I think we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if this were an outrigger book, it would be really interesting to see because Morgaze is Morgaze is still alive. And right. if Morgaze actually didn't abdicate the throne to Elaine, but Elaine is ascending to the throne and Morgaze is bringing in the White Cloaks to actually try to get the, the throne back, that is a story I would read. Totally. <laughs> that would be awesome. Would um, okay. Just All one right. more example of how Morgaze has been completely wasted. I mean, for what, five books now? She's out there somewhere and she's just... So, uh, uh, another Reddit question. We're coming to the end of those. Uh, this is Reddit user Jedi of Christ. And uh, by the way, far be it from me to speak uh, for Christ, but I'm not sure that he would have any Jedi. They're awful. I hate the Jedi. You're just talking about the Jedi Order, not the Jedi ideals. That's different. He could I, have. Yeah. The Jedi Order, yeah. But... I feel like we need to have an entire episode just on like the Jedi Code versus the Sith Code. Oh, I can almost oh. guarantee you that this this Christmas there will be hours spent discussing okay, the good. Jedi Code and we're things because yeah. we're dealing with the original Jedi in okay in in our movie this this December. Oh, tangents. Oh, sweet <laughs> sweet tangents. Okay, so Jedi of Christ asks, what would your vote be for most useless story arc in this book? I think I think uh, we, I think we can all that. agree Elaine's is well, pretty useless. But you got to throw against it Valen Luca. Yeah, but but that's not really a story arc. I mean, then you're talking about Matt's story arc, and that doesn't feel quite so useless. Uh, so I was just trying to throw something against the wall to see if it would stick, and it just. But tried. the original was, story arc with Val and Luca. So <laughs> there you go. If Are you we go talking the entire in this series? Book? No, it's in this book. Okay, but but he also says, I assume it's a he. Uh, let's be positive. How about the best story arc? What was the best thing, the best uh, thing to read in this book? And uh, and I might say, Egwene's that's yeah was that's the right. most interesting one to read. Although I've voiced my displeasure in the last episode with how he wrote um, her interaction with the beacon. Yeah, um, yeah. So that that was a little bit frustrating, but think, still, yeah. uh, still, I'm most interested in the in the uh, the intrigue in her camp with Halima and uh, and the other. I, I mean, I. we do get Perrin obviously doesn't 
finished that whole story arc with Fael and trying to rescue her, but he, we do see the end of the axe versus the hammer story arc. That's the one I was going and for. And I really like that. Mm. With uh, Perrin? That whole thing with yeah. Perrin. Well, and if you go back, uh, I don't remember where it is, but the Koreathon Korea, cycle. cycle, there's a part in there that says that when the Wolf King takes up the hammer, then the last battle is nigh or something like that. And this is like the moment when he puts that axe in there. He says, okay, well, guess what? The last battle, the last is, battle nigh, is now nigh. Based, yeah. on this, based on this prophecy. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought of that. Oh, was that in the epilogue? It's in one of those. I know it's in one of the. It's one of the prophecies that somebody, somebody did. It might even be one of the dark prophecies. I don't know. I don't think it's that one yet. Yeah. Well, either way, it's interesting, and I do think um, I I might change my vote to Perrin's arc just because we do get the, I don't know about the only, but it's certainly the most interesting moral question of whether he did the right thing chopping that dude's hand off. Well, he's, and you know, the ends justify the means, and whether he, you know, what Fael has done to him morally, and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I don't think that there's another character in this book that has to make a hard moral decision like that. Right. Everyone else that has hard things happen to them, but not the inner conflict that Perrin carries. Although we have talked about Egwene and her uh, wrestling with whether compulsion is ever okay to use and whether it would have been better to have uh, uh, what's her name order the deaths of the two accepted yeah but she never gets to the point where there's never a moment where she has to decide am I going to do this right no I, I think I agree with you but um, at least the questions there a quote that kind of goes with this it wasn't from this uh, this scene or whatever but I, I marked it because I thought it was really interesting especially for what we're doing in the podcast this is when Dylan and Elaine are talking about all the young high seats of all the houses that show up oh, during okay. that super boring arc of yes. the throne. I remember that Dylan is a character. So anyways, she says something about like, you know, keep everybody out of my throne room while I'm talking to these people and don't disturb us unless the city is under attack. And then she says, no, unless it is important. And she has this mental note and it says in stories, Women who gave orders like that were always setting themselves up for disaster. Sometimes there were lessons in stories if you looked for them. <laughs> you know, I I noticed that line too, and I thought, yeah, yeah that's kind of the entire conceit of the Legendarium podcast, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yep, so that's, yeah. that's why I marked, because I figured, like, <laughs> Jordan's calling that out, like, hey, it's more than a surface-level story. Like look for if you want to make it that if way. you want to make it that way, and that's what we I, do. So. And I would say I would say that about all stories to us yeah. to one degree or another for sure, right? Uh, except maybe Pacific Rim. That one's just plain awesome. It's <laughs> just, just, just surface rogue. level awesome. Uh, okay, so we should probably start wrapping up, but uh, we can get to uh, predictions. So there are a couple of prediction questions, and the one I want to go with here is uh, from Reddit user. I I can't read this. Seven Y R four N one S R O zero. Sorry, it's a droid. X four S. I I don't know how to read that. Can you read that, Ryan? I yeah, it makes no sense to me. Yeah. Um, anyway. 
uh, so Reddit user 7, I'm not going to do that again, asks, now that Egwene has been captured by the tower, Aes Sedai, what do you think Elida will do with her? Um, is Elida smart enough to do anything with her besides throw her in prison? Um, and I don't know what my prediction would be there. Well, um, the smart thing would be to kill her. Would it? Why? Just to get rid of their Amerlin figurehead. But wouldn't that uh, wouldn't that kind of um, make a martyr out of Egwene and further cement the rebellion uh, against her? It could. Or uh, I wouldn't think that would be very smart. I don't know. I mean, I feel like that you hey, try her and you sentence her for treason and you steal her and you kill her based on tower law. Yeah. And that's that's the letter of the law. She's not outside the law to do that, and that's what I think the go-to should be for Elida. Now, you and could, I mean, quick. you, you can't if... argue all of that. Is it going to make her a martyr? Is it whatever? But it also gets rid of that figurehead who is driving a lot of the rebellion, and uh, so here's. I what think it I sends a really big message to the to the rebels. I I don't know if this is what will happen, but here's what I would do. See, the the kidnapping occurs in a chapter that's called something along the lines of what the oath rod can do or it's something like that yeah. it's the title of the chapter and uh and i would if i were elida make Egwene swear on the oath rod to swear fealty swear fealty to uh, elida swear to obey elida and then she parades Egwene around as uh, a puppet See, proclaiming that that Elida is the real Amarlin, et cetera, et cetera. See, it's the classic bad guy mistake, though, because the bad guy gets the good guy in their clutches and then sits there and talks to them about whatever or plans to like I don't parade know. We, them around. They start monologuing. And, yeah, they start monologuing, and then the bad or the good guy gets away and <laughs> ultimately foils the bad guy. So you're, you need to go straight up John Wick, and as soon as you see her, boom, toast. No talking, <laughs> no nothing. Problem solved. On to the next one. I, you went John Wick. I went with uh, Seth Green's character from uh, from <laughs> yeah. Austin Powers. I've got a gun in my room. <laughs> Give me five seconds. <laughs> uh, okay, Ryan, you look like you've looked something up. Okay. Uh, Ken, what do you think is going to happen with Egwene in the tower? I, I think much much the same. I think they're going to drag it out and let the, uh, let the rebellion go. Uh, somehow sneak in try to try to do something in order to, to spring her when what they really should do is is make an example of her i think since she hasn't sworn on the oath rod yet i mean that would be the ultimate uh in disgrace for her. i mean have her swear on the oath rod and then under tower law you know try her quickly find her guilty execute her and tell the the rebel scum that you know anybody who doesn't Come back and accept Elida justice right now. Uh, you can expect to to have the same fate, but I think it's it's going to drag on too long, and Elida's going to do something stupid, and uh, they'll find some way to they'll find some way to spring her, or they'll find some way to bring Elida down, and make Egwene the new Amerlin in a newly fully restored tower, a fully armed and operational, fully operational white tower, white tower. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, did I already get your prediction, Ryan? On this, no. Um, I'm not really sure. Oh, I can, yeah, you don't get I, to predict I can't anymore. predict on Duck this because I know kind of what Elida does with her. Um, but 
Yeah, okay, yeah, so you don't, you don't have to say anything. Um, all right, so let's move on then to final thoughts. We're just shy of an hour, so let's wrap this bad boy up. And uh, final thoughts on book 10, if anybody has any. Um, let's start with uh, I, I Ken. Think, I think it's funny that Loghain, of all people, have to come in and talk sense into Rand about how he should have paid more attention to the Black Tower, which we talked about uh, back at the end of book nine, how he, he really let that one slip and Loghain comes in and basically confirms what we were talking about before is you really should have been paying attention to what uh, Mazram Taim was doing over there and, and how he's sowing discord and uh, making his own little Taim army behind your back with the weapon that you were creating. Seriously. I can honestly say when people say, like I think it was in one of the Reddit things, you know, they say about Rand's Ashaman or something like that. I'm like, look, I don't know that you can use that phrase anymore uh-uh. because Rand has Ashaman near him and those I might, like his yeah, bodyguards those or whatever. half dozen or so that he's got out here. But outside of that, like, he really just, by not touching the Black Tower, has disavowed ownership of of it. Yep. So, Which makes me makes me laugh when the when both sets of Aes Sedai are talking about joining forces with the Black Tower and, and bonding them. They're they're thinking about Rand's Ashaman and they're not they don't even think about Mazram Taim and what he's doing over there. So Well it's kind of funny too the with um a few of the Ashaman that have been bonded that there's actually a phrase in there they refer to it um Jahar and Eben safely bonded and tamed, like they yeah. they consider that once they've bonded these Ashaman that they're now that they're now safe and tame and it's like which is a real I said I can see that I just shake my head out and go you don't you don't know yeah it's it's the overconfidence it's like I just put a leash on this wolf so we're good right <laughs> like cool <laughs> it won't bite me now because I can just pull on it yeah <laughs> so my final thought is you know who I miss Pot on Fane. What the heck? What is going on? Like, this guy was set up as such an awesome antagonist in the first few books, and I am just sick and tired of waiting around for him to come be awesome again. So last we saw him was book eight. Yeah, for yep. like five seconds. Yeah, and he, he stabs Rand in the side. And right. It's kind of his thing now, though. He's just there for a few pages, and, and then gone. Yeah, I just... Uh, He's he's such a wild card. He's such a weirdo that uh, he's a welcome addition to whatever book he's in or whatever part of a book that he's in. And so I I want him to come back. I have a whole lot to say on Pat on Fane when we get there. When we get there, okay. Wait um, until book thirty three. Yep. Um, I have a final thought kay. question for everybody. Okay. So book ten is the most maligned book out of. All of them. It's, I, that's weird. Um, what do you, now that you've finished it and read it? I mean, uh-huh. we kind of t- touched on it a little bit. What is your overall thoughts on it? Mine would be better than I remember. Still super slow, and could be used. <laughs> you could have some really good machete editing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Would improve it. We've we've talked about better how than I remember. nine and ten probably should have been combined and hacked to pieces, uh, much smaller. But uh, I would probably say, with that in mind, 9 is actually worse than 10, as far as being just agonizing and boring. But 9 has the cleansing at the end, 
which is yeah. so awesome. And it's, it's it's such an overshadowing event for that mm-hmm. book that that's what you remember. It, yeah, it's hard to say that nine is one of the worst books when it has probably one of the top five, top three moments of, in the whole series. In the whole series, so it's right. hard to do that. But I think you're right. And it's still, yeah, it's top five. But uh, there's been nothing in this series to compare to Do My Wells yet. Really? No. Yeah, I think you like Do My Wells the best. Do My Wells is yeah, that was the height think, of awesome, even yeah. including all of the you know becoming the dragon reborn and everything else Dumais Wells is still by far the greatest moment in this series okay I think I would agree with that so yeah what do you think Ken is uh is the is tens are tens faults overblown I'm I'm really glad that um the three of you who who had started it or had finished it built up my expectation of how bad it was because reading through it, it wasn't nearly as bad as I was going in dreading it would be. And I, I really, I mean, even until the Elaine stuff around chapter 10 kind of slowed down my progression, I got through the first third of this book, you know, really fast. I just mm-hmm. booked right through it. I think if you chopped out from basically chapter six through chapter 19, combined it with, book nine and called it winter's twilight or something like that it would have been it'd be a much better book but it overall it was not as bad as i was going in dreading and yeah i think i think it's a fine book okay yeah my my experience reading crossroads of twilight went a little like hey you know what this isn't quite as bad this is yeah okay okay we're gonna lazy and oh okay yeah oh whoa he cut off a hand okay yeah we're back all right (laughs) this isn't isn't that bad all right okay that was the dark one all along yeah here we go Oh, now we're in a knife of dreams and prepare for the ramp up, guys. Yeah. Okay. So knife of dreams coming up. Uh, I guess we're, are we good on final thoughts? We only have four books left. Oh, How'd oh. that happen? <laughs> uh, I hope they're awesome because I am. Uh, these last three or four have been taxing. I would venture I won't to lie. say that we might even speed up our our pace because of like. When, I mean, Ryan can attest to this. As you start reading, it's like. Oh man, I got to get to the next one. I got to get to the next yeah. one, and it's. The, I mean, we've definitely slowed down in the last few, but these next four. Okay. You probably won't want to stop. My final prediction: Knife of Dreams. The last three are written by Brandon Sanderson. I'm excited. I can I can honestly say that consideration of a reread at the end of Crossroads of Twilight is a zero, but a little further in, and it's like, yeah, I might consider a reread of this series. I get why people yeah. reread it. Okay. Uh, well, now all of you should shut up because we're <laughs> over an hour. And we need to stop. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And speaking of speeding up our pace, I don't know how much we'll speed it up, but you probably will have two weeks at the very least uh, to get in your uh, your iTunes reviews. And so uh, just as a reminder, if you want in on the drawing for the Crossroads of Twilight annotated edition uh, with the marginal notes by the Legendarium podcast, then just go to iTunes and leave a review and send me uh, some sort of private message with the copy of your review that you left there so that I can enter you in that. And uh, we'll read some of those on the air. And like I said, you'll have at least two weeks from when this airs to get those in uh, as we read book 11 and we will announce the winner uh, in the first episode of book 11. Now, uh, Last reminders, once again, patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. 
and uh, we really appreciate everybody who does that just a reminder we are looking to get into video bring you some video content but it is going to take some investment uh, on the part of the podcast and so we can't do that without you so go to patreon.com slash legendarium and help us to do that uh, with your generosity and also go to the legendarium.reddit.com and join the conversation there thanks everybody for listening we will see you for the next episode whatever that is I, i'm not looking at my calendar so uh, we'll see you whenever that is thanks everybody thanks everybody